Let's pray this morning as we start and ask that God would speak to our hearts. Would you join with, join with me, church? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. And God, we ask that you would quiet our minds and our, uh, from the busyness of life and that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say this morning, God. God, we don't want to just gather and just play church. We want to come and hear the very word of God. We want to hear from you, God. We want to be encouraged. We want to be rebuked. We want to be built up. We want to be changed. And God, that can't happen with just a, a, a preacher preaching. It needs to happen by you. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak to our hearts, to open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your word. And we ask it for your glory. And our good. And all those agreed said, Amen. Well, as Arnaldo said this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've, you know, just a bit of an overview of where we've been already. We, we've already looked at the person of the Holy Spirit, that he's a he and not an it. Then week two, we looked at the presence of the Holy Spirit through Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And then we looked at week three, the ongoing repetitive nature of our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we, after that, looked at the work of the Holy Spirit, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in particular for mission. And then next for maturity, how Christ is grown in us. And then last week, Matt took us through an overview of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and spent the majority of his time in the gift of prophecy. And as promised this morning, we are going to be looking at the gift of tongues. Now, I only thought, I thought it was only fitting that since we're at Enmore Theater, that this be our background image for the day. What do you guys reckon? I reckon that's appropriate, right? I mean, if, if you don't know the Rolling Stones or classic rock, that joke might go right over your head. But my hope is that the gift of tongues doesn't equally go over your head by the end of the day. Okay, you can kill that slide because I think it will distract people if we really keep it up for the day. I've been asking myself this question, Matt, why would Matt have me preaching on this subject? And the only conclusions I can come to is that either Matt hates me, one, Secondly, uh, Matt is incredibly confident in my ability to communicate on this subject, which probably isn't all that likely. Or third, that Matt just doesn't want to teach this subject, which is probably most... Can I get an amen, Matt? <laughs> so... Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to attempt to get through this. Now, if I, I just want to start by, uh, at, at the very beginning and say that tongues is weird. Okay? Let's just get that out in the open. Tongues is weird. It's, it's not weird in, in a bad way. There's like bad weird and there's good weird. It's good weird, uh, but it's still this weird, interesting thing. And I hope that as we go through it, that you don't throw, uh, that you don't read the book by the, or judge the book by its cover, but that you rather go on the journey with me as we discover what this gift is. Uh, I do understand that within the church, there's a fair degree of fear and anxiety associated with this gift. Uh, and, and so I, I get that. Personally, I get that. When I first became a Christian, I was in a church that told me that I had to speak in tongues or I wasn't saved. I had to speak in tongues or I wasn't saved. They told me that was the manifestation of the Spirit that defined whether I was a Christian or not. And so for two years, under the pressure of that and under the weight of that, I faked it. Should have bought a Honda, but I got a Kia. Should have bought a Honda, but I got a Kia. Now, or Matt would say, should have bought a Honda, but, uh, should have got a Honda, but I got a Yamaha or something. But 
The thing is, is that uh, that isn't necessary. We don't actually have to f- be fearful or anxious about it. What I was told is not true. And so I just want to encourage you guys that Scripture is beautiful. Scripture is true. Scripture can be trusted on this subject. We don't have to freak out. I'd also like to say from the beginning that uh, the gift of tongues, there's much, not just the gift of tongues, but the gifts in general, there's much variance uh, here at Anchor uh, in regard to these gifts. We don't all agree on the detail or on the minutia concerning these spiritual gifts, and we would say at Anchor that that is okay. Uh, The leeway and the freedom uh, to think differently, uh, though being true to Scripture, is what makes Anchor Anchor. Uh, We aren't into majoring on the minors. Mark Driscoll says that there's state boundaries and there's national boundaries, and and we're just not going to fight for national, or for state boundaries, rather. We will fight about national boundaries, and, and this would be one of those times. The gift of tongues is nothing to divide over. We would never disparage one another or other churches about how they view the gift of tongues. We would never look at a church down the road that has a different view on the gift of tongues and say, oh, we don't want anything to do with you. That would be ridiculous. We must realize that within the body of Christ, that unity does not require homogeny. Rather, unity recognizes diversity And chooses to obey a greater claim, doesn't it? And the greater claim is the identity and person and finished work of Jesus on the cross. Who's risen from the dead. Who rules and reigns. And who is coming again. We as the church are united under that truth. And that truth, church, is big enough. It's a big enough truth to unite under. And so we afford secondary issues some leeway. Now, if we're to be honest about the gift of prophecy, which we spoke about last week, and the gift of tongues, uh, they are the gifts that are most commonly misused or abused. They're sometimes overemphasized. They're often ostracized. They're other times obsessed about and other times despised. And we don't really see this kind of polarizing activity with any other of the spiritual gifts. It's not like with the gift of healing that we're like, if, if you know, the church is, there's far too much healing. We're like, whoa, 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 you got to reel it in. There's too much healing going on in the church. Or it's not like with the gift of administration. We're like, all right, there's way too much supernatural administration going on here. We got to really put the brakes on it. That just doesn't happen. But with this gift and with prophecy, that happens. And so that's the reason why in this series that we've devoted so much time to the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. So today I want to try and answer four questions. Here they are. What is tongues? How do we use it best? How do we use it better? And how do we get it? I want to answer those four questions. What is tongues? How do we use it best? How do we use it better? And how do we get it? Let's start with the first one. What is this thing? What is tongues? Our working definition this morning is going to be on the screen behind me. Tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray or to praise God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. Now you might say, how did you get to that definition? 
Well, my hope is that as we journey through, that I can point out through Scripture how I got to this definition. And and I want to encourage you guys, don't just take my word for it. Go home and research this. I can't possibly get into 40 minutes all of the arguments around this particular gift. But you know what Paul said to the Bereans? He said that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because the things that they heard from Paul, they then went and searched the scriptures daily to make sure that they were true. And so I want to encourage you, church, be Bereans. Don't just take my word for things. But let's start by looking at the first part of this definition. Uh, Tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, where we see the disciples waiting in the upper room uh, for the, the helper that was promised to them, the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. And it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so what do we get from this? Tongues is not a natural thing. It's nothing that we muster or conjure up. It's it's nothing that we manufacture. It's a supernatural thing that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, what does it involve? Let's look at the next section. Tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray to or praise God. So... The elements of tongues are prayer, praise, and giving of thanks. Let's look at what the Bible says about that in 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. Tongues is praying in the spirit. But I will also pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. Tongues is singing of praise. But I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks, tongues is giving thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you might be giving thanks well enough. Tongues is a good way of giving thanks. But the other person is not being built up. So... Tongues is prayer, praise, and giving of thanks. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 as well. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, as the disciples were, as tongues as of fire came upon upon them, they began to speak in tongues. It says that the people that were listening said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They weren't saying, thus saith the Lord. They were talking about the mighty works of God. And so the disciples were glorifying God and proclaiming his works in worship. Then again in Acts chapter 10, when uh, Cornelius' household, when the the gospel went to the Gentiles and and, uh, they received the Holy Spirit, it says that they all speak, they were speaking in tongues and they were extolling, exalting God. So the elements of tongues are prayer praise and giving of thanks. It's also important to note that uh, the direction with which tongues exist. It was tongues and tongues is to God. Uh, Paul sort of juxtaposes tongues and prophecy saying that tongues is upward directed, not horizontal or downward like prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 2 says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. 
For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, juxtaposed to that, the one who prophecies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So tongues goes up from people as enabled by the spirit and prophecy comes down from God to people as revealed by the spirit. This is going to be helpful later as we get into what interpretation is. So keep that in mind. Now, here's where things get a little bit tricky in our definition of what tongues is. Because if tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray or to praise God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person, not comprehended by the mind in a language that is unknown or not known to the person. This is where we're like, whoa, whoa. I'm okay with all the other part of the definition, but this part I'm not okay with. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, again, says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, or it doesn't understand what I'm saying. And so he says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind. I will praise or sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing praise with my mind also. Paul is saying here that tongues is prayer with his spirit, the non-material aspect of his being, not with his mind. It's important to remember, church, that we are not just, we are not just brains on a stick. There is elements to us that we are, we are spirits. There is, a, there is a supernatural, crazy, weird dichotomy, trichotomy of who we are as people. So as Paul uses the gift, his spirit speaks directly to God, though his mind doesn't understand it. See see what it says there? His, His mind is unfruitful, but his spirit speaks to God. So Paul sees this kind of activity happening in the spiritual realm, where our spirits speak directly to God, but our mind is somehow bypassed, not understanding what we're saying. This has been my experience. Now, I did tell you that I faked it and I didn't just grow into the gift of tongues, but I actually do have the gift of tongues. And my experience of using the gift of tongues has been when I am in a worship setting or in, a, in my own prayer closet, so to say, and I am overwhelmed and overcome with emotion at times, not always. For me, it's not something that I can turn on and turn off. For others, it is. And Paul seems to say that as well. But for me, I'm overcome come with emotion and I began to express my heart by my spirit directly to God, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Now, how can that be edifying? We're going to get into that, but that is what my experience has been. And as I've talked to many of you here at Anchor that have the gift of tongues, you all have a similar experience. It's a congruent experience. So... Apparently, there are times in the child of God where there's a burden in our soul to pray something or say something in a praise to God in a way that we simply don't have words for. Now, if you don't have tongues, it's okay because Romans says that even if we don't have tongues and we don't know what to pray, that God will pray for us. The Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf with groanings. And, but, but there is something in this. And the miracle really isn't in the the speaking of peculiar sounds. The miracle is that God understands them as the expression of my spirit. 
So, if tongues is language that's bypassed by the mind, then what about Acts chapter 2? Weren't they speaking in intelligible languages? How did it bypass the people that were exercising the gift's minds? Well, that's part of what made Acts 2 so profound to the people that were hearing it, because the people that were speaking in the tongues were Galileans, untrained fishermen, and they all heard them speaking as if it was their own language. So even the guys that were doing it, they didn't know what they were speaking because they didn't understand those languages. To their mind, it was unintelligible language or unintelligible things. Now, it wasn't understood to the ones speaking. It bypassed their mind. We got that part of the definition. I understand what you're saying. So, If tongues can be apart from the mind of the person exercising it, uh, then then, uh, what what are we to say about is tongues always gibberish or is it it possibly, you know, a human language? Is it something that is more than just um, speaking into the air? Now, part of what happens in Acts, and this is possible, I'm not sure, but Acts could have been mass interpretation. It could have been, it's possible that what happened in the book of Acts was mass interpretation of tongues. These guys are speaking in a language that they don't know. Other people are hearing it and they're understanding it. It might be, but it might also be that tongues is human language. That's possible as well. That being said, Jeff Vanderstelt, a a pastor that we respect, uh, who's uh, pastors the Soma movement of churches, the Soma community. He, uh, I want to share an experience of him. One time, he was uh, preaching at a uh, for, in a foreign country, and as he was preaching with interpretation, halfway through the sermon, the interpreter stopped interpreting. And Jeff wasn't operating in the gift of tongues because he was speaking English. It was intelligible language to him. He knew what he was saying, but the interpreter just stopped. And Jeff goes, well, "Why are you stopping? What's going on?" And the interpreter turned to Jeff and said, they they all hear you in their own language. You don't need interpretation anymore. Everyone there hears you. That could have also been a gift of hearing, a gift of interpretation. We know it wasn't the gift of tongues for Jeff because he was speaking in a known language to himself. So, apparently there are times where it can be human language. And apparently there are other times where it can be a language that's unknown to anybody. Let's look at what scripture says about uh, language that's unknown to anybody. And I think might ordinarily be the case. It's based on 1 Corinthians 14 two. Paul says that one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, it's not like Paul would discourage the speaking of tongues without interpretation if it was only human language with the same argument because some would possibly understand what Paul was saying. But Paul's saying no one understands. It would be like someone coming into anchor uh, and and speaking in Spanish up the front, right? You guys wouldn't understand that person, but you wouldn't be freaked out by it. Some of you actually might understand it. But what Paul seems to say is that no one understands it apart from interpretation. 
And we're going to see later that Paul's major reason for not wanting it is if an outsider, a non-believer, a, a, a not yet Christian comes in, they're going to be freaked out by it. I, I can't see a, not, a non-believer coming out and being freaked out by what they know to be an intelligible language necessarily. It goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 to further validate this in verse 6. It says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct sounds or notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So with yourselves, if you... Uh, If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? Nobody will know, for you will be speaking into air. So tongues sometimes can be indistinct sounds similar to that of an instrument that's played without pitch or beat. Now, my daughter plays violin, and when she first started playing violin, it was painful. All right, you guys all know what I mean. It was just noise. It didn't have any beat. It didn't have any pitch. It just hurt, right? Or you've all seen the kid that goes and bangs on the piano. It's not music. It's just noise. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Without interpretation, it's just noise. It's understood by nobody. Also, he says that tongues is speech that's not intelligible in this passage. He says that tongues is not known by anybody. And he says that tongues is speaking into thin air apart from interpretation. So it's possible that tongues is not only human language, but it's also, you know, this unintelligible language. It's possible. So we've answered what tongues is. Based on that definition, it is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray or to praise God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language is not known by the person. That's what tongues is. But the how question is equally important. Paul spent the majority of of his time in talking to the Corinthians and dealing with the how question. How should this be used? How should the gift of tongues be used? And so let's devote some of our time to that as well. How do we use tongues best? Now, you're going to undermine what I stand as we keep going through this. But what I mean mean is how do we use tongues best has to do with personally and privately. The best way to use tongues is personally and privately. Tongues is best used for self-edification. Tongues aren't given for the sake of others, but for you. And this is what makes tongues unique amongst all the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.4 again says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So hang on, wasn't there an issue in Corinth with self-edification? Should we edify ourselves? Is it okay to have a self-edifying gift? Paul never said that self-edification is bad, but that the primary point of the gathering was collective edification. We do tons of things, church, that edify ourselves, don't we? We read the Bible. 
We pray, we listen to sermons, we're always edifying ourselves spiritually and even naturally. We exercise, we eat our favorite meals, we watch TV. Uh, Maybe that's not all that edifying, but you know what I mean. We all do things that are edifying. And we don't really get upset with people when people are self-edifying in those areas, do we? But why do we when it comes to this? Well, Paul was upset because they were doing it in the collective gathering. But it's not bad. Self-edification is not an evil in and of itself unless it becomes an end. Right? Self-edification is not an evil in and of itself unless it becomes the end. For me, there's been times in my life where my gifts, my giftingness, my spiritual gifts has been my identity. And... uh, quite, it's quite convicting because when that happens for me, I crush others under the weight of if, if, if they have a gift that I don't have and that's my identity, I get so upset because I want that. That's what defines me. And it's not healthy. It's destructive or equally in the past where I've had something that someone else hasn't because my identity is in my giftedness. I look down my snobby little nose at others and I think that I'm better at people. That is a wrong use of any gift, in particular the gift of tongues. Our identity isn't in our gifts. Our identity is in the God of the gifts. If self-edification from tongues was wrong, Paul wouldn't have encouraged us to use it. And uh, we don't have this passage up, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, A person who speaks in a tongue is strengthened personally. Or he also says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. Or he also says that I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Don't you just love Paul? I speak in tongues more than all y'all. See, it's not just Americans. It was Paul. (laughs) See, Paul didn't shy away from or seem the least bit embarrassed to say that prophecy to and praising God in tongues was a regular part of his life. Paul was profoundly grateful that he received this gift. And Paul exalts the use of tongues for private prayer and praise. Tongues is edifying. It is good, church. All right? You hear me? Tongues is good. We must never forget that the gift of tongues was God's idea and not man's. He gave the gifts to the church. He gave this gift to the church no less than he gave the other gifts to the church. If Paul thought it good, maybe you ought to pause and consider the positive nature of this gift, as opposed to quickly dismissing it as the habit of overly emotional, ill-informed fanatics like me. Sam Storm says in his book on the Holy Spirit, the quote should be behind, let's resolve from the outset not to spurn or ridicule something precious in God's sight, graciously bestowed upon Uh, bestowed by a loving heavenly father who gives only good gifts to his children. It is important that we keep our sense of perspective. Tongues are neither God's greatest gift to his most favored children, nor the devil's most sinister tool of deceit. Tongues is good, especially in our private lives. So that's how we use it best. But how do we use it better? Now, this one has to do with how do we use the gift of tongues corporately? How do we use the gift of tongues in the corporate collective? And we need to say that the gift of tongues is designed in the corporate setting to be mutually beneficial, right? 
It has to be done mutually beneficial. That's how the church is designed. In 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 19, after Paul uh, tells them that he speaks in tongues more than all of them, he says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others, right? Common good, mutual edification, communal, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is saying, in essence, I've got the gift of tongues and I use it more than all of you, but I pretty much never use it in the corporate gathering. It all, it's always a concern uh, of the church uh, gathered that we add to the benefit of the whole. That's the concern of the church gathering, that we add to the benefit of the whole. But, you know, we're radically individualistic in our culture, aren't we? Yeah? I'm not hearing much. Where's my Arnold? Where's Arnaldo saying amen? We're radically individualistic. Western individualism is deeply ingrained in us. We can barely even see our Western individualism. But the church is meant to be radically communal. Christ calls us, not many, Christ calls us one. We are the body under Jesus Christ. We are one. And so the church properly understood should challenge our deepest sense of our Western individualism, the core of who we've become. But we rather, instead of allowing uh, the church to challenge that, we cling to our individualism. And it shapes often how we do church. We come to church and we're concerned about how did it go for me and how was I blessed and what did I receive and how was I built up and how did I enjoy it and what did I get out of it? That's the wrong view of church, church. We come to church and we are concerned about how we got something out of it. That, must ne- that was never meant to be the case. That was never meant to be the case. It's supposed to be about how we collectively, as the body of Christ, are being faithful, how we're being built up, and how we're enjoying life more abundant together in Christ. That's the design of the church. It was meant to be this communal thing where we each play a part in building up the whole. We all have mutual responsibility, church. That's why when, we, when you hear us talking about Anchor Vision and who we are, we have statements like, we're all everyday missionaries. Mission isn't done by an elite few people. Mission isn't done by the professionals, the pastors. The mission is for all of us. We're all collectively a part of the church. Or care at Anchor. Care doesn't happen by the pastors at Anchor. Care happens by one another. We're a collective part of the care. That doesn't mean that care doesn't happen by the pastors. But that's not the, the main idea is that we, do, we, we, we don't come to get. We come to contribute to the collective good of the church. The concern of the church is always the whole. But the thing about the gift of tongues is that it's, it's for the individual unless there is the caveat, right? The interpretation of tongues. Then it can build up the whole, which leads to the second reason why, uh, how we should use this gift in the gathering. The second way that we should use this is orderly. The gift of tongues ought to be used orderly. 
The primary way that this can happen, like I said, is with interpretation. It's the only way that tongues is used in a mutually edifying way. And then, Scripture says, and only then can others be strengthened by the gift of tongues. Now, what might interpretation look like? We don't have a lot of time to get into the gift of interpretation, but there may be a gathering of the church and someone speaks out in a tongue in such a way, don't don't miss this, in such a way that is heard publicly to everyone else, right? Someone speaks out a tongue that's heard publicly for everyone else. We're not talking about quiet praying to themselves, but speaking publicly. Now, if that were to happen, we can have some clear expectations about what an interpretation would be that would follow that tongue. So if someone speaks out publicly for everyone to hear, and then someone gets up and inter- interprets that tongue, we can have a clear uh, expectation of what that interpretation would involve. It would involve explicitly prayer, praise, and giving of thanks to God, right? That's what tongues is. It's not a revelation, it's an exaltation. It would therefore sound very much like one of the Psalms. It would cause a sense of mutual edification. We would all be built up as a result of it. Now, it wouldn't be, thus saith the Lord, the surf's going to be good this week, right? I mean, we, we hope that the surf's good, but that's not what tongues would be. That would be prophecy, if you could even call it that. Predictive by nature. Now, I also want to just go back to that point about this is what it would look like if it was done publicly and loudly. But if it's done privately, in a prayer way, or in a way that someone's quietly praising God, and they're overcome with emotion, and they begin to sing to God to themselves in that way, it's okay, church. We are not here at Anchor going to have a tongues police ministry, okay? We're not. We're not going to have, if you want to have a ministry that is like the tongues cops, go find another church because that's not what we're going to have here. Paul actually says that it's probably okay for them to do it in a quiet way to God. It's okay for them to talk to God in that way quietly because it edifies their heart. It edifies them, right? It's okay, I also want to mention about that tongues is, is controllable, isn't it? For those of you that have it, Paul would indicate that tongues is controllable. You don't just, you don't just do it whenever you want. And I know a lot of you think that tongues is, it's, it's kind of like uh, an epileptic trance, right? Our, our eyes roll back into our head and, and uh, we lose, you know, we start drooling at the mouth and we lose all control and we start just, we can't control it. But Paul says that's not the case because I can do it, but I don't have to do it. So tongues is controllable, but tongues is okay in a private way, as long as it's not publicly declared. But if tongues is used intentionally and loudly so everyone can hear, it must be used with the accompaniment of interpretation. I've seen this done really well, personally. 
Uh, I was a part of a church uh, in America. This is another church, not the one that told me that I had to speak in tongues to be saved. But it was a church where uh, they had, Matt thinks this is really funny, but they had a time called an afterglow, right? And their afterglow time, they would just have a time of worship. It was just, it was just a worship, it was just a great worship time with instrumental worship. And if someone had a word of prophecy, they would come up and there would be a team of pastors up the front and they'd say, I feel like this is what God's saying. And, um, and so the pastors would have an opportunity to test that according to scripture, make sure it wasn't uh, you know, contrary to scripture. And what they would get up and they would share what they felt like God was putting on their heart. And then with tongues, if someone, you know, because you can't really do that with tongues, if someone were to speak out in tongues, uh, the pastor would, uh, if, if, a, if a interpretation didn't come immediately, a pastor would get up and he'd say, all right, we're just going to wait for interpretation now. If no interpretation would come, he'd say, we're just going to move on. Good on you for, you know, stepping out in faith, but without interpretation, it doesn't edify the whole. So we're just going to move on. And I found that to be a very healthy experience for me. It was done decently and in order. I also remember one. I won't go. I won't tell that story. I won't tell that story. So why should tongues be done in order with interpretation? You might ask, why is that the case? Well, we already talked about, firstly, the goal of the church is the collective edification of others. And that doesn't happen apart from that. But secondly, Paul would indicate that unbelievers might think that we're crazy and feel alienated if they come into our gathering. Now, this argument's quite complex and quite difficult to follow, so stay with me. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Huh? While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together collectively and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and all and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. And the secrets of his hearts are exposed, they're disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, now follow the argument. Here's what it's saying. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. What's it a sign of? If, if a sign... It's really, it's a sign of judgment. Because if they come into our gathering and they hear it used, then they experience uh, to them this, and they don't really understand what's going on. They feel alienated. They feel separate from the gathering of God's people. If tongues is used, it alienates them and makes them feel judged. It's like you guys going up to a group of people that speak in a different language. Eventually, if you go up to a group of people that all speak French and you don't speak French and they're talking and bantering, you're going to feel isolated and weird. You're not going to really feel like you have a part to be in that conversation. You're just going to kind of fizzle out and walk away. And so Paul is saying that tongues is not a sign of God's favor on the unbeliever, but rather God's judgment. Because they're left feeling left out of the gathering. They're left feeling like they're not a part. 
And Paul's saying, really, to the Corinthians that they're communicating wrongly to them that they don't have any place in the gathering of God's people by themselves being children in their thinking and saying, let's just all speak in tongues whenever we want. But when they come in, they're like, this is something that I could never be a part of. And that was never the intention of the church gathered. That's never the intention of the gathering of the church. We want not yet believers to come and to feel like they might possibly belong. They could actually get into this God thing. Now, can I just pause and say that if you're a not yet believer here today or a non-believer, we're not even doing it. We're just talking about it and you're freaked out. So please come back next week. Please. The goal of the church is mutual edification and evangelization. And that demands intelligible content. Now, Paul is very clearly downplaying tongues in the public church gathering. But I want to make a note here that he's not forbidding it. He's going to give us instructions on how, if it does happen, it should happen in the gathering. Verse 27 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. There that, there's that verse about keeping silent and speaking to them and God. But if it is going to be done, it needs to, one... Be no more than two or three doing it. It needs to, two, happen orderly, one at a time, not a smorgasbord of everyone doing it at once. And three, only if there's interpretation. But it is okay for it to happen. This week I've been interviewing a few of you and talking about these gifts. And it was really cool for me to find out there's actually, there are people in our family that actually have the gift of interpretation. That, I, that, that they don't always operate in it. It's not like, oh great, someone has the gift of interpretation. I can just get up and say whatever I want whenever I want. But it's encouraging to know. And it does happen and it can happen orderly. Now, here at Anchor, this isn't really a part of our culture. Uh, in our gathering, it's not a part of our ethos. We don't really celebrate the gift of tongues, though it's wonderful. Uh, we don't really see that a lot in our gatherings. It's probably more likely to be seen in our gospel communities at Anchor. It's probably a more intimate setting and it's often to be seen there. But if it happens here, don't freak out. Matt, <laughs> others, don't freak out. I know it's weird. There's some in the church in Corinth that apparently thought that it should just be thrown all the way out, right? They're like, this is not okay, uh, you know, but Paul corrects them by saying, you know, don't forbid it. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done direct, uh, decently and orderly. Church, I want to tell you that we do not form theology from bad examples or bad experiences. Did you hear that? Especially when it comes to spiritual gifts, we do not form our theology by bad, from bad examples or bad experiences. To do so would to be being unfaithful. Paul's basically saying to the Corinthians, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? By all means, throw out the bathwater, but don't throw out the baby. 
right? The baby is the gift of tongues. The bathwater is the improper use of the gift of tongues. So Paul's answer to the misuse or the abuse in the gathering isn't stop it, but do it better. So how do we use the gift of tongues in our corporate gatherings? We use it better. We don't stop. And lastly, how do we get it? How do we get it? I love when a point is simple. The way that we get it is we ask. Now, if you don't want it, that's okay. He probably doesn't have it for you and that's fine. You may not need it. Your father knows and he loves you. But a common prayer of ours should be, I want everything you have for me, God. Nothing more and nothing less. If you do want it, that's good. And it may be that you need it. And again, if you want it, ask. Now, if you ask and you don't get it, don't freak out. Don't be discouraged or draw unhealthy conclusions if you ask and you don't get it. We know it's not for every believer. The scriptures are very clear. When Paul's talking about the gifts, he goes, do all prophesy? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. It's a rhetoric question. So it's not for everybody. The answer is no. You don't have to get it. So don't freak out if you ask and it doesn't happen. It's not a sign of the super special church. Tongues is not a sign of the super special. You're already special. You're already special. I don't think that God doesn't see you as special. He left his domain to come and to suffer and die for you because you're special and he loves you. Also, don't draw an unhealthy conclusion that, that this gift is for the, 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 you know, the people that are super spiritual, right? That's not true. This gift is not for the super spiritual. This gift is not given according to merit. No gifts are given according to merit. We don't merit a gift. The only thing that we merit in and of ourselves is our brokenness that deserves us the consequences and wrath of God. But God is gracious and kind and merciful in giving us salvation and in giving us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us and in giving us gifts for the sake of the building up of the church for the edification of all. So it is not for the super, it's not for the super spiritual. It's not for the special, you know, select few. And it's also not for those, you know, tongues is not reserved for um, uh, special intimacy with God, right? We don't get special intimacy with God through the gift of tongues. Intimacy is already yours. You guys understand that. That's what we sing about every week. That's what we celebrate every week here at Anchor. When we finish our services, through our services, we celebrate the gospel. And Jesus, who had perfect intimacy with the Father in heaven, it says that he didn't, he didn't consider it equality to be equal with the Father in heaven, made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, a man, and he exchanged his intimacy with the Father. He exchanged his intimacy. You remember on the cross where Jesus was hanging and, and dying? He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Lord? 
I feel separated from you. I feel like there's no intimacy. There's no connection anymore. Jesus felt the full brunt and the weight of our sin. So he broke his intimacy. He bore the weight of our sin so that we could have intimacy with God. Intimacy doesn't come through tongues. Intimacy comes through the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want to encourage you. Today's the day of salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you do know Jesus, rejoice, church. Rejoice in that truth. I'm going to have the band come out now and I'm going to pray and close. Uh, we're going to respond to that glorious truth in a, in a few ways. We have a prayer team up the back. They would love to pray for you, with you. I know here we are in self-edification again. They would love to pray with you. It'll edify you. I go all the time for prayer and I'm edified. So please take advantage of those guys. They'd love to pray with you. Secondly, we're going to sing. We're going to sing together to our great God. And thirdly, oh, thirdly, we're going to take communion. Uh, to my right and to my left at the front and up the back are a couple communion stations. And as you take communion, church, celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Celebrate that it is finished. That you are, you've been brought near through the power of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these gifts. And uh, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And God, we desire all that you have for us. Nothing more and nothing less. And so God, transform us day by day, more and more into your likeness and your image. Build us up, God, for the sake of the edification of ourselves and others, but have your way in and through us, we pray. And all those agreed said, amen.